Well, with that said, uh, we're going to turn our attention to God's word, and we're in Matthew chapter 2. If you have Bibles, I'll invite you to open them. If you don't have a Bible, we have some out in the lobby. It would be our joy to give you one just as a gift. We got some nice new ones with like a hardback and all that good stuff, and we're in our Witnesses to the Advent series, and I'm going to invite Ashley to come, and she is going to do our scripture reading for us today. So let's turn our attention to God's word now. Merry Christmas. This is God's word from the Gospel of Matthew, beginning in chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when, when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that, had, that they had seen when it rose before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Amen. Thank you, Ashley. Will you pray with me? God, we ask for your blessing on this time. God, I thank you that this story, though it happened so long ago, uh, has tremendous relevance to us in our lives today. And God, I ask that you would help me to convey that relevance, to speak truthfully and to speak in a way uh, that meets in our hearts where we're at. God, I pray for each and every one of us to have soft and receptive hearts that we might hear what it is you want to say to us and we might receive it uh, willingly and, and joyfully. Even as these magi says, rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. May we taste of that joy today. We pray in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. You know, we're doing this sermon series called Witnesses of the Advent and what we've done is we kind of looked each week at a different uh, angle of the, the Messiah's coming. So the first week we looked at the prophets, the one who talked about the coming of the Messiah before he came. And then a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the angels. What would it be like to be one of those angels who gets to deliver the good news? Last week, we looked at the shepherds, how they were elevated out of their lowly station. In fact, we just sang that line in the song that said, uh, you've raised me up so high above my station. That's kind of the shepherd story. And today we're looking at these wise men, these magi. And I will tell you though, that was not the initial sermon series that I pitched to the elder team. Uh, earlier this year, I said, hey, I've got an idea for an Advent series. You guys tell me if it's too negative. I want to call it something like all the bad theology that I ever learned from Christmas carols. And, uh, and uh, you know, like, for example, like Silent Night, Holy Night, like Silent Night, like any of you ever had a newborn? Like who, sa like, who says Silent Night, right? Like 
The Christian doctrine is that Jesus is fully God and fully man. And as fully human, he was a baby who cried at night. So like, where do we get this silent night idea? And actually chief on my hit list of songs that just bug the soup out of me is we three kings of Orient are. Like, I can't even get past the first line. Like, there's so much uh, 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 missing. There's so much kind of that points us in the wrong direction. Because here's the deal. Uh, Maybe of all of these different groups, you know, the shepherds, the prophets, the magi have so much imagination associated with their story. Like, look in, in, in Matthew chapter 2, in verse 1, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. That's it. A little later, you'll see we get gold, frankincense, and myrrh, so three gifts, but like, how many? And it says wise men. It doesn't say kings. We three kings. Where did that come from? And like, there's, there's like names given to them. And they're like from this region and that region and that region. All the Bible says is wise men from the East came. And, and by the way, like, where does like a, where does a drumming boy come in at this part too? Like what, what mother of any child at any age, much less a brand newborn wants a kid playing the drums in their living room. Pete was just telling us this morning that Pete was leading music. He was saying that his boys have been asking for a drum set for Christmas. He's like, Santa hates drummers. So no, we're not, we're not getting a drum set. Another one is like, okay, where we, you know, the nativity scenes, they always show the Magi coming that night of Jesus birth. The shepherds are there. The angels are there, Mary and Joseph. And then the wise men are there and they've got their camels and their crowns and whatever. Like usually Jesus looks like he's Irish, not Jewish, but you know, you know what I mean? And there's all this misinformation, but actually it says after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the way the grammatical construction is, it points us to a little bit later. Plus Jesus' mother, Mary, went to the temple in accordance with the law, the law that was given to Moses 40 days after Jesus was born and offered a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice for purification. It's a ritual that the Jewish people practiced after childbirth. That was done 40 days after Jesus was born. And it says in the gospel of Luke that they offered pigeons, two turtle doves for the sacrifice, which is the sacrifice of poor people. Had they already been given gold, frankincense, and myrrh, I think they would have given a much more substantial sacrifice, not two turtle doves, meaning I don't think the wise men showed up on the night of Jesus' birth, but a few months later. I could be wrong. We'll fight about it afterwards. It's the holidays. Let's argue, right? Now, here's the deal. We need to do some history today. If we do a little bit of history, I think we have a much better uh, chance at really understanding What is being said here? Because, for example, you know, it says that these wise men came from the east and they they were saying, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? And it says that King Herod, when he heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem was with him. I, I want you to understand something right from the outset. That Matthew is writing a very political book. We saw this two weeks ago when Matthew starts with a genealogy. What kind of people have a book written about them with a genealogy? This person gave birth to this person, gave birth to father this person. What kind of person gets that treatment? A king, royalty. And we see here by saying things like wise men from the East, like a, a, a TNT bomb just went off right in the, in the minds of the first hearers. We don't see this. 
We don't live in their culture. We don't understand all the things that are happening. But let me tell you, it'd be like, it'd be like me walking up and being like, something, 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 Donald Trump, something, 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 Nancy Pelosi, something, Fox News and CNN. Something. And you all just like the tension that would sweep across the room. Like I feel it right now, even just saying those words. Like there's all this political tension that's happening at the beginning of Matthew. So let's do a little Mythbusters, okay? First of all, wise men. The phrase here is translated as wise men, and it's an appropriate translation, but what are wise men, okay? Wise men, throughout really all of human history, all nations, kings and rulers have wise men. They're, they're like royal advisors. They're people who assist the king. They're people who assist the prime minister. They come alongside and offer insight and input and, and wisdom, and these are people who are studied. They're scholars. They write. They, they listen. They learn. But you also have to recognize that for most of the ancient world, there really wasn't as much of a divide between what we would call science and what we would call superstition. For example, you can see it in the difference between astronomy, the stars are moving around and doing this thing, and astrology, you're going to inherit a million dollars, right? Like, so there's kind of a difference. We think of them differently. They didn't think of it differently. These are people again, really, really widespread throughout the ancient world who would study and learn history, writing, the stars, science, uh, magic, worship, all of these types of things. And it was all combined into one kind of uh, position called a wise man. And also it was often ethnically based. It would often be within a nation, one tribe or one specific group of people would be the ones that served as wise men. If you read about the Babylonian Empire, they had a group called the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans were their wise men, their astrologers, their scholars. Uh, For those of you who are familiar with the Old Testament, what was the one tribe that was selected by God to serve as the priests and to kind of lead in the worship? Which, Which tribe was it, you know? Levites, exactly, yeah. So, so we see this in the Bible, the people of Israel. You see this in uh, the many of the ancient world, in, in the ancient nations. But the Magi specifically, the word that was used by Matthew is Magi. And so when we, when we look at the Magi, there's some really fascinating things. Things that you might not be aware of, but they're, they're not exactly a secret. I'm not making any of this up. I will cite my sources. And so that way I will win the holiday fight with you after this service, Okay. The Magi, when Matthew, our author, uses that word, he is referring to a specific tribe of people who are from what we would call Iran today. It's a specific tribe, uh, the Median Persian Empire. You guys heard of the Persian Empire? They were one of the big four. There was Babylon. Then there was the Medes and the Persians. They joined forces, took over the world. A guy named Alexander the, Allri- Alexander the Great took them over and conquered the world, followed by Rome. Kind of just boom, 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 boom. Four empires in the four centuries leading up to the time of Jesus. And I get this from Herodotus. He's, a, he's a, an ancient Greek historian. You'll have to bear with me. I'll probably butcher these names. But he says this. He says, Deiochis collected the Medes into a nation and he ruled over them alone. Now, these are the tribes of which they consist. I'm going to go fast and confident and you'll never know if I got them right or not. The Busay, the Paratiseni, the Struchates, the Arizanti, the Budi, and the, the Magi. So the Magi is a tribe of people. A specific tribe, an Iranian tribe, a Persian tribe, that were put in charge of religion. They were religious leaders. They were 
the one tribe that had that kind of position, that kind of power. So they were in charge of worship. Is anyone here, have you ever heard of the religion known as Zoroastrianism? Anybody? That's like a really ancient religion, monotheistic. They believe in one God. They practiced sacrifices and things like that. And they, that was the official religion of the Magi, the tribe. But they were also fairly, uh, how we will say, open-minded. They kind of collected things from other religions and other belief systems as they went. And because they had this place of great religious influence and they were in charge of worship, they also had great political power. So when the song says, we three kings, that's not entirely accurate, but it might be accurate to say, we three king makers. The king makers, right? The people who get to say, yeah, you get to be in charge. You don't. You're the next royalty. You're not. You're in, you're out. I, I spent some time reading this week in Herodotus and he tells some crazy stories about the Magi. It's like, it's like one part mafia, one part like Iranian wizard sorcerer tribe. Like it's wild, okay? These stories. And so the Magi had this position of great political and religious power this ethnic Median Persian Iranian tribe, that's what's behind Matthew's use of the word here, okay? Now, we gotta go even one layer deeper, one click deeper, because in the Bible, in the Hebrew scriptures, what you call the Old Testament, there's some different people who interact with Magi, who interact with wise men, astrologers. I think of, you know, Joseph in the Old Testament and, and Moses dealing with the wise men of, of Pharaoh in Egypt. But can you guys think of anybody in the Old Testament who would actually have been more in the Eastern region in Babylon and Persia who was dealing with Magi? Can you guys think of anybody? Daniel, were you at the first service? Do you check my notes? Okay, it's Daniel. You guys ever heard the story of Daniel? Daniel is this young Jewish guy who gets taken out of his home, removed, exiled to Babylon. Remember, Babylon, that's the big empire before the Persian Empire. He's kidnapped, he's exiled, he's taken. But then he, they notice that he's like handsome and they notice that he's smart and they say, hey, let's, let's train this guy as a, a magus, a magi. Magi is a plural, magus is singular. So you can read about this. It's all right there in the book of Daniel chapter one. It's kind of crazy. He gets fed a certain diet. He gets dressed a certain way. He gets trained in all of the ways of the Chaldeans. Until one day, he, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, has this crazy dream. And Nebuchadnezzar goes, call my magi. Call my wise men. I need someone to interpret the dream. Were they able to interpret the dream? No. So what does he do? He kills them all. They all die. And he goes, Daniel, how about you? And you know, Daniel's like, oh, okay, that's great. Wonderful. Happy Tuesday, right? So he goes before the king. And the king says, can you interpret the dream? And Daniel goes, I can't interpret anything, but my God can. Tell me the dream. And Nebuchadnezzar tells him the dream and Daniel prays about it, thinks about it, comes back with the interpretation. Nebuchadnezzar is flabbergasted. That's the word in the Hebrew is flabbergasted. And he puts Daniel in charge of all the Magi. So Daniel now is the chief Magi. This Jewish boy, this young man who is, was kidnapped, was a slave, is now ruling and reigning over all of the Magi. But the story gets even crazier. Because if you start reading later into Daniel, partway through the story, the Persian Empire shows up. In one day, the Persian Empire attacks the Babylonian Empire, kills all of the political religious leaders, except for Daniel. And somehow he survives this change of empire. Like, does that happen? Like, that doesn't happen, right? Like, just 
again, I'm, I'm getting political here, so forgive me, but like, imagine that China came and attacked the United States of America and, and, and put all of our leaders to death and all the governors and all the senators, but then like one person, like Mike Pence, survived and like China kept him on. You'd be like, that is strange. That doesn't happen. Like how did that, that's what happened with Daniel. So then the new king, this Persian king named Darius says, well, I'm going to put 120 governors in charge of my whole empire. I'm going to put three magi in charge of all those governors. And Daniel was one of them. And the governors got jealous. They cooked up this plot Daniel gets thrown into the den of lions. He says, the king's like, I'm really sorry about this, Daniel. I really like you. I hope that your God spares your life. Sleeps the night, comes back, knocks on the, the door, Daniel. And Daniel's like, I'm good, man. I'm hanging out with these kitty cats. We're, we're all good. And they pull him out and, and Darius goes, okay, all of y'all need to pay attention to Daniel's God. Daniel's God, Yahweh, is the one true God of gods and the Lord of lords. And he issues this proclamation throughout the entire Persian empire, basically saying, you really ought to listen to what Daniel has to say. And now he's ruling and reigning as the chief magi in the Persian empire. And I have to imagine that as Daniel's now leading this this group of religious leaders, as a Hebrew, he's not even... He's not even from the tribe of the Medes. He's not from the Magi tribe, but he's leading them. You have to imagine him. I said, hey, can I tell you about the God of my people? Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God of my father Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And can I tell you about how God made Abraham a promise that he was going to use his descendants to be a blessing to all the people on planet earth? And can I tell you the story of like why I'm even here? Because my people, they were not faithful to the covenant that God made. We rebelled. We didn't follow his ways and we were removed from our promised land. And so here I am now in, in exile in Persia. But did you know that there's a promised king, a ruler, a Messiah who's going to come? I have to imagine that Daniel would have told some of these magi about prophecies like in the book of Numbers when it says that a star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. I think the Magi would have been hugely influenced by this Jewish prophet, Daniel. Not all of them. It's a large tribe. It's a large group. They spread throughout the known world, but you knew there were some who paid attention to what Daniel said. And centuries later, Centuries later, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, magi, that's the actual word in the Greek, magi from the east showed up in Jerusalem. And they were saying, the, the Greek word is like they kept on saying, they kept asking around, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose And we've come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. The word troubled doesn't even do it justice. If you look in the Greek, it's like greatly upset, really agitated. Uh, We would say freaking out. 
It's actually the same word when Jesus walks on the water, the disciples were greatly troubled, right? Like this is kind of freaking me out. But did you notice it's not just Herod, it's all of Jerusalem. Why? Why would all of Jerusalem been freaked out? I am speculating here. I think there were more than three. And despite what you may have seen in the best claymation uh, stories, I don't think they were riding camels. If you look through history, the reason why the Persian Empire was able to conquer the known world is they had this thing called the Persian War Horse. You ever heard of that? The Persian War Horse. They were uh, fearsome in war. What I think is happening here, again, I could be wrong, is a large convoy of Eastern mystic wizard wise men show up on war horses and start riding all around the town saying, where's the king? I heard there was a new king. Like that would freak the people out. I don't think I'm wrong though. Maybe I am. I don't think I am. Verse four. So Herod, he gets all his chief priests and the scribes of the people. Ah, Herod has his own wise men too. He assembles them all together and he says, hey, where's... Where's the Christ? Where's the Messiah going to be born? Don't you, for the, if you're the king of the Jews, shouldn't you know? Like you should know, like where's, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? They're like, well, King uh, Bethlehem, right? Like the prophet wrote about Micah, you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So Herod summoned the wise men back secretly And he ascertained from them what time the star, hey, when did you first see the star? What's going on? Tell me some more. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Does Herod really want to worship this new king? No. Herod is a really fascinating historical figure. Um, He did some remarkable things uh, construction-wise. He rebuilt the temple. It had been destroyed during the exile. He rebuilt the temple. Uh, Herod's temple was called one of the wonders of the ancient world. He built these huge fortress cities. He, I mean, tons of construction that you can go see to this day in Israel and the lands to the north. He really was a remarkable leader in that way. But boy, was he vicious. He was ruthless. He was paranoid. You can read historical records that he had two of his sons put to death so that they wouldn't take over his throne. Five days before Herod died, he had his third son put to death because he was still so paranoid that one of his sons would take over his throne. He had wives put to death. He had all sorts of people put to death. You keep reading in Matthew chapter two, he has all of the children, two years and younger in Bethlehem put to death. This guy is a wicked, vicious king. Not a good guy. So after listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, I love this phrase. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They rejoiced with joy. They rejoiced exceedingly with joy. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Matthew's trying to get a point across to us here. Real happy. People speculate, what is this star? 
I read some things on the internet uh, that were strange this week. You know, I don't know if you know this. There are strange things out there on the internet. Uh, some of the commentaries and things I read, some say, you know, it was just a kind of a regular star that moved in a pattern they hadn't seen before. Others said it was Jupiter, because uh, Jupiter is known as the king star. Others said it was the convergence of Jupiter and Saturn together. Others said it was a comet, maybe even Halley's Comet. Here's the deal. We don't really know. But we also know that regular stars don't move and come to rest over one specific spot. So whatever is happening here, there's some sort of supernatural activity. There, the, the, whatever the physical, natural thing, however we would explain that scientifically, I believe that God's at work here. He led his people of Israel through the desert with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He's leading these magi by a star to the place where they're going to find the greatest joy known to mankind. Going into the house, verse 11, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts Gold, fit for a king. Frankincense, incense that was burned during times of worship. And myrrh, a scented oil that's used in embalming a dead body. And being warned in a dream, I love this little, here's the end of the Magi story. Being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed back to their own country by another way. There's almost like an innocence there, like, they, like even naivete, like, oh, Herod's not good? Okay, well, let's go back. But I love this picture. Falling on their knees before this baby, rich, powerful, influential, scholarly, learned, this ancient tribe of people that goes back for millennia, falling at the feet of this baby, the Jewish Messiah. Chad Ashby is a pastor in South Carolina. He says, at Jesus' birth, can you just recognize how the tables have turned? This time, a star led the Magi into exile, sojourning in search of the scepter rising out of Israel. This time, they don't find a man seated at the right hand of Pharaoh or Nebuchadnezzar, but a child seated in his mother's lap. As they bow and worship, they become the first to recognize the end from the beginning. This child would surpass both Daniel and Joseph as the chief of the Magi. And then he quotes from the end of Matthew. Here's the beginning of Matthew. At the end of Matthew, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. This little baby sitting on his mother's lap has royal advisors falling at his feet and worshiping. And might I even say, there is not a less likely group of people than Iranian, you know, wise men to be bowing down at the foot of the Jewish Messiah. How wild is that? This is a loaded story. It's full of all sorts of things. I think three in particular that I want to share with you that I think we can learn from this story. And the first one is this. Jesus is the king that every heart desires. 
You know, I learned, I learned some things this week that I'd never heard of before and, and, and really kind of just blew my mind. One of the things that I learned is that right around the time when Jesus was born, there really was this widespread desire for a new king. Uh, I read like Tacitus, he's a, a, a Roman historian. He said that in most Roman people, there was this firm persuasion that the ancient records of their priests contained this prediction how at this very time, the East was going to grow powerful and rulers coming from Judea were going to acquire a universal empire. He wrote this in about 70 AD, you know, four decades or so after Jesus died and rose again. Another historian, Suetonius, wrote that there had spread all over the Orient an old and established belief that it was fated for men coming from Judea to rule the world. Right during this time, people were really speculating, is there going to be a new king? Is there going to be a new empire or emperor? I know the Caesar Augustus guy has conquered everything, but maybe somebody from the East, maybe somebody from Judah is actually going to rise up and become the king. They were very politically fascinated. And the book of Galatians tells us that it was at this exact time when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might be adopted as sons and daughters into the family of God. How awesome is that? Let me, let me, let me, you know what they say? Like when you're on thin ice, you might as well dance. Let me dance for a minute here, okay? If you've been around Sound City at all, you know that I, I often speak politically. And I don't mean like advocating for or, 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 or bashing on one side of the aisle or the other. Actually, I, I, want you to get, I want you to understand this. If you're a part of Sound City, we have people in here who lean more conservative, more Republican. We have people in this room who lean more left-wing, more liberal. We have even like libertarians here. Like they're out in the lobby right now doing their own thing, but we have them, right? <laughs> Listen to me. One of the things that I see is that we as people deeply crave a king. We deeply desire someone who will love us and lead us and protect us and and help us to prosper and help us to do well. And one of the things that breaks my heart as a pastor, when I see people on either the right or the left do it, if you are a follower of Jesus, we have an ultimate king. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the king. He is the Messiah. He's the one who rather than using his power and authority to grind us down or to to steal from us or to take from us, he's the one that came to lay his life down for us. Have any of you been kind of following along with the Advent devotional that we handed out a few weeks ago? I've been reading it with my older daughters and one of the verses the other day, I just, it hit me in a new light. It said, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve. And the pastor, the author of the book, John Piper was saying, will you let the Messiah serve you? And everything in me, I wanted to push against it. I'm like, no, I'm supposed to serve the king. I'm supposed to bow down before the king, which is true. But I can't do that unless I first let this king serve me. And this king, the lowest he went was not the manger. The cross, he was willing to die a criminal's death on a cross. The Bible says in our place and for our sins. Not even the cross, but he went into the grave experiencing 
all of what we deserve because of our sinfulness. Can can anybody agree with me? The world is kind of a messed up place. You know, we're getting to the end of the year. We start looking over, you know, they they release these year-end lists. It's just like one tragedy after another, after another, with then like like some Beyonce songs that were released or something. You know, like it's these end of the year, that was weird, I'll fix that. But you know what I mean? Like these, these end of the year lists are always so strange because you look back, it's like, man, the world is a really broken place. And we're all desiring of a king. And I would submit to you, the only one who's the king that our hearts truly desire is Jesus. Secondly, Jesus' kingdom is for all people. Again, there should not be Persian astrologers bowing down at the feet of Jesus, and yet here they are. People from the east coming and bringing gifts. Oh, wait. Except that's kind of what always has happened. And that's kind of what God has always been saying since the very beginning. If you read the Old Testament, there's a king named Solomon, one of the great, great, great grandparents of, of, of Jesus. And Solomon, this, this queen, the queen of Sheba from the east, heard about Solomon's fame. She came to Jerusalem with a large entourage with camels bearing spices, gold in great abundance, and precious stones. Oh, does that sound familiar? Or like in the Psalms, when the Psalms start praising God and David says things like, may the kings of Tarshish and the coastland render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts from like the Arabian Peninsula. May they, all these kings fall down before him and all nations serve him. Or one of my favorites in Isaiah 60, the prophet Isaiah says, when the the redeemer comes to Zion, he's going to shine like a light and all these nations are going to come to your light and they're going to bring gold, and frankincense, and they'll bring good news, the praises of the Lord. Let me say this. It is far too easy for people like you and people like me to make some sort of a box, and we say, this is the type of person who can be a part of God's family. How dare we? How dare we look at someone and say, oh, well, certainly not them. They could never be a follower of Jesus. Anybody tracking with me? Like, if you can't say amen, you can say ouch. That's okay. You ever done that? You ever looked at somebody and just kind of judged them? Oh, they, they can't. Oh. You, ever, you ever been afraid to, like, share the good news of Jesus with somebody because you've thought to yourself, they would never listen to what I have to say? And yet here we have Persian astrologers bowing down at the feet of Jesus. May we repent of our prejudices. May we repent of thinking God couldn't save that person or couldn't redeem that person. By the way, friend, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, I would invite you to lay aside that same prejudice about yourself. I could never be a follower of Jesus. I could never. That's, that's for people like fill in the blank. God's kingdom is for all sorts of surprising people. I mean, for crying out loud, like just look around the room. Look at me. Like, why, why would I be in the family of God? Why would you? You weirdos? Like, why are, what are we doing here? We weren't born in Israel, most of us. We weren't born in, I don't know if anybody here was born in Israel. I'd love to find that out. We're not, you know, this, this, this Jewish Messiah and all this kind of stuff. But God has said from the beginning, I'm going to gather together an eclectic family of all different types of people. And when we get to the marriage supper at the end of the age, I think we're going to be pretty shocked who's all sitting at the table. Amen? 
And then lastly, King Jesus invites us into his family, but then he asks for everything. He asks for everything. And the reason why he asks for everything is because he is the only king that our hearts desire. And he is the only one who offers us this, not just like earthly prosperity, but he says eternal life. These, these magi come, these magi come from the east and, and they left their home. Like the star rose and it's like, we gotta go. We can't stay in the same place where we have to leave and, and go out from among our countrymen and go seek this Messiah out. Three different times it says, we're here to worship him. We're here to worship him. They bowed down and worshiped him. They laid down on their faces before a little baby. These men who would make kings quake in their boots are bowing down before a little baby and giving of their treasures. Friends, Jesus is that good. When we meet this king, the one whom our hearts truly desire, how can we not give him everything? What do I get to hold on to? What do I get to say? No, this, this part of my life or this section of my time or this money or this treasure or anything that I have, how do I get to hold any of that back from a king who's this good, who's this loving, who's this gracious, who's that accepting? I have to say, Jesus, have everything. You get it all. I started by kind of gently knocking on the, the Christmas carol, We Three Kings. And uh, as we begin to turn our hearts toward a time of responding, I thought maybe I'd read you the words to this carol because you know what? After those first few words, We Three Kings of Orientar, it actually gets really good. <laughs> Let me read these to you. We Three Kings, we indeterminate number of magi from Persia are... All right, fixed. I fixed it. Bearing gifts, we traverse afar, field and fountain, moor and mountain, following yonder star. Born a king on Bethlehem's plain, gold I bring to crown him again. King forever, ceasing never over us all to reign. Frankincense to offer have I. Incense owns a deity nigh. Prayer and praising, voices raising, worshiping God on high. That's what we're going to do in a moment. Myrrh is mine. It's bitter perfume. Breathes a life of gathering gloom. Sorrowing, sighing, bleeding, dying. Sealed in the stone cold tomb. In a moment, we're going to celebrate the Lord's table and remember that he's a king who died for us. Glorious now, Behold him arise, God and king and sacrifice. Alleluia, alleluia, sounds through the earth and skies. That's good. I'm really glad I fixed that first line. Now we can use it, okay? In a moment, I'm going to invite Pastor Jamin to come and he's going to lead us uh, through a celebration of the Lord's table. We're also going to invite our younger students class to join with us for this time of, of the Lord's table and of singing a couple of songs together. But first, would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you that you sent Jesus at the exact right time. And God, I thank you that you tell us this story of really unlikely people coming to bow down at the foot of the Messiah. So God, I pray for us today, wherever there has been prejudice in our heart, 
Would you help us to repent of that? And wherever we have held you at arm's length or tried to keep back some of the gifts that we have from you, would you help us to repent of that as well? Would we see how good our King Jesus is, how, how glorious our King Jesus is, and may we come bearing gifts, whatever we have, to bring before our King, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Aaron. When you, uh, when you walked in, you should have received a small cup that has bread and juice in it for, for the Lord's Supper. Reflecting on what, what that means, that, that, that when, we, when we take communion, the, the bread, the cracker that represents Jesus' body that was broken, the juice that represents his blood that was spilled, the purpose for that was, was because f- to pay the price for our, our sin. We, you see, we, we all long for justice in this world, for, all the, for, the, for justice, for, for evil, for all the bad things that happen, but it's so easy to neglect. What about the cost for our own sin? Like for there to be justice, there has to be justice. There has to be justice for what we have done because we do evil things. And there is justice. That's our good news. Justice. Jesus, Jesus paid the cost for our sins. In addition, when, when you accept Jesus in your heart and you, t- and you acknowledge that you are in need of a Savior and that you, just as myself, fall short in sin, it's not a one-time thing. We continue to sin, and Jesus continues to forgive us. So today, as you, as you partake in the Lord's Supper, reflect on that, pray with that, Acknowledge your need for a Savior, your continual need for a Savior, and also rejoice that we have that in Jesus. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 11, and then you can partake in communion, and then the the band will lead us in song after. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup.